My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Paul Gilbert and Margot Bach. According to today's guests, there are multiple ways in which the struggle for disability rights in Canada lags behind many other countries. It's not only that governments have so far failed to take many of the most obvious steps that disabled people and their allies identify as necessary for addressing the barriers, poverty, and injustice that they face, it's also that there just isn't the same density of grassroots groups focused on disability as there is in the US or the UK, for instance, and substantive coverage of disability issues in the mainstream media in Canada is sporadic and often not very well done. Gilbert and Bach have taken a number of approaches to working for disability rights over the years. For a while, Gilbert had a focus on traditional lobbying, meeting with government ministers, particularly at the provincial level in British Columbia, and with other politicians. That didn't seem to be getting anywhere, so he joined the political party in power in BC at the time and worked to set up a formally recognized disability caucus within the party. That was ultimately successful, but once the caucus was in place, he again came face to face with the serious limits to what such a body could actually achieve within the constraints of the institution. He needed a new approach, and, he said, quote, it had to be disability first rather than any party first, end quote. To that end, a few of them decided that the way to go was to make use of social media, but to go beyond how many groups use it. The BC Disability Caucus has a Facebook page at its center, but it is also a group. It has an active core of contributors and is managing not only to build consciousness of crucial disability issues, but also to promote dialogue among disabled people about their needs, put together demands from that ongoing dialogue, present these demands to governments, raise the profile of disability issues in conventional media, support other kinds of human rights struggles, and, from time to time, mobilize people into the streets. Gilbert currently serves as the group's media spokesperson, and Bach is a regular contributor, including of original articles in which he combines research and analysis of disability issues that are mostly ignored in the mainstream. They speak with me about some of the key issues facing disabled people in British Columbia, and about the work of the BC Disability Caucus to address them. We spoke by Skype to phone from BC. I'm Paul Gilbert. I've been the spokesperson for the group for the last while. And Margot is here. Hi there, I'm a contributor. I write articles or post articles. And what we do is we try to post things that the disability community could relate to that speaks to the social and political and economic impacts that they're experiencing. So, I mean, we're not just talking about disability, we're also talking about political happenings in the federal and provincial government and economic activity in the community. We've held polls and rallies and protests and all sorts of things like that. But the core of activities is posting stories and getting people to provide feedback and discuss the items. 
so that they're actually engaged in interacting with one another. One of the things that I find is really telling is that what the charities, the, the disability charities say to the government isn't what the disabled say to the government. <laughs> they're a lot more honest than somebody who obtains out salary. My background is in vocational and psychosocial rehab, so grassroots advocacy has always been part of my work. I haven't been doing vocational and psychosocial rehab, but I'm very interested in the disability community and its needs. So this was one way of actually engaging with them and giving them an opportunity to collaborate and discuss things and come to some resolutions about what needs doing. My background is that, I mean, I start off having a disability and feeling marginalized in society in many respects and seeing how others are being marginalized. And I didn't want people to experience what I've gone through, so I thought that I would do my part. The caucus is just one avenue that I provide information to other people in a format that is amenable to everybody and, and taps on things that they're already thinking about but maybe aren't talking about. It gets it out to a wider audience, and that's what I want to do is to get the information out to the wider audience because a lot of times people think that they're the only ones experiencing this situation where it's maybe systemic and there's other people voicing their opinion and the more people that get involved, the larger the voice. I'm kind of like a reluctant advocate because I have had to do it in both professionally and personally being an advocate, but I think that many people with disabilities and their allies don't have all the information or would like to share information with others and the site provides a platform to do that. It also provides support for people who are about to engage in some sort of advocacy because not everybody is acquainted with dealing with bureaucracies. <laughs> and there's a lot of bureaucracies that impact people's lives. What's the political landscape like in British Columbia in terms of grassroots things related to disability? Well, there's a number of small nonprofits and larger ones. The main advocacy groups that actually make much of a noise are small groups like ACORN in Vancouver, where they get about 10 people to show up for protests. Our protests are much larger, but it's the same issues. Most people with disabilities are impacted by poverty. Their health is seriously impacted by the fact that they're poor. And at the same time, you have people who have needs that they need accommodations or what have you for that there's no money for. So they can't even get the supports they need to engage with the world. I think in BC, if we're comparing it to, say, Ontario, BC may be not as organized in terms of smaller groups as Ontario is. There's more head offices in Ontario, the population's larger. In terms of having a voice, I think we were more scattered. But the Disability Caucus website was a way to bring people together. What I see it as is following in the footsteps of Australia and America and England, where everyday issues, disability issues, are normal to them, and posting them and discussing them, whether it's social or political, they're actually novel here in Canada, in fact, that we don't have the widespread mainstream features on various disability issues. A lot of it's on inspirational stories of people with disabilities, but not as much on change agents. So what we found when we first started was that there was few articles being written on issues affecting persons with disabilities, and now there's more in BC being written because we have to show that there's an interest. 
the stories that we have are novel and they have to become normalized in Canada. There's definitely other parts of the world are further along as far as having more grassroots disability advocacy, which is what distinguishes us from the ones that are charities. Typically, to go back to what Margo was saying, the non-disabled are presented as not having needs. You have these independent, non-disabled, and dependent or interdependent disabled. It's sort of the picture that's given off about the disabled. They're still seen as less than, which is the daily experience for people with disabilities. And the government doesn't know how to address these issues yet. And how did the BC Disability Caucus get started? It started in sort of a strange way because I've been advocating with the government to try and get them to pay more attention to people with disabilities. And finally, I gave up on meeting with ministers and joined their political party. And my main focus there was to set up a disability caucus within the party. So I advocated for about a year and actually had it pass at a provincial council meeting, and then they adopted it into the constitution. But the downside of that is that you can't make policy suggestions from an internal disability caucus. You can only talk about party policy. So to actually have an impact, we realized that it had to be much freer and open and unconstrained by being within a political party. It had to be disability first rather than any party first. Although some parties have policies that we like, naturally, and some have policies that we don't, but it's all centered on what's best for the disabled in that particular circumstance. So we started posting stories and drawing in people on Facebook, and now we're at 12,500 people who follow us regularly and growing and discussing all sorts of topics. Some topics that are in the media and many that aren't that we have to find some way of encouraging government to pay attention to. And there's also the issue about marginalization in all aspects of life. So marginalization in healthcare is one of the areas that the disabled face. One issue that's really current, given the experiences in the U.S. and across the world, is what happens to people with disabilities in catastrophes. People drowning in Texas and drowning in Florida because there was nobody set up to take them out of those circumstances. You didn't say the same problem in Cuba, but people with disabilities are the people who are throughout the poor and the disabled are generally the last ones to get help. And also poverty is a major issue for many persons with disabilities. So that aspect resonates within many of the postings and many of the comments provided by the people who participate in the discussion. And so we tap into the discussions, and sometimes we see a theme coming about, and I said, there's an article here, so I would write an article, and gather the information and do the research on it so that it's a presentable way so that we can use it to start a new discussion or use it for future discussions or future reference. The conversations are very fluid. They're living. So we can be current all the time. Because to a large extent, we're responding to what we see as needs that people are mentioning or asking about or reports in the media that are current and people get enthused about those various things and engage one one another. It's amazing. Our role as people started to speak out was more to echo what they're saying, to try and represent what they're saying when we organize protests or what have you, so that their voices are being carried forward. I even wanted to get them involved in the federal leadership contest 
to encourage the candidates to have a disability policy that was something that was important. So we managed to get Nikki Ashton to develop a disability policy and the caucus voted to endorse her and her policy. And so we've been helping promote Nikki Ashton's candidacy for leader. And maybe to give a flavor of the kinds of issues that the BC Disability Caucus deals with, why don't you, Margot, talk about a couple of the articles that you've written that you're particularly proud of or that you think made a particularly significant impact? When I wrote one on marriage equality, persons with disabilities, um, provincial assistance prevented from getting married, in essence. I talked about what people have to decide if they are considering going into a relationship. Do I go into a relationship and give up subsidized housing? Do I go into a relationship and give up my medical care? Do I go into a relationship and give up my disability assistance, my income, my pension? Do I give up, go into a relationship or forget my rehab support? These are things that people consider. And just to clarify for listeners, all of this is required by provincial policy of people on provincial disability assistance when they enter a relationship. A lot of people think that persons with disabilities are taken care of, but the thing is, why should someone have to make the decision to go into a relationship and possibly lose all these things? And for example, persons with disabilities who go into a relationship become common law within a matter of months. Three months. Whereas it's like two years in the other legislation. So it's a big step to go into a relationship, but there's also the flip side too. If people with disabilities... If they're in a relationship and they aren't eligible for provincial disability assistance, it also means that perhaps they're staying in a bad relationship or an abusive relationship because they don't have any opportunity to escape. They don't have any money of their own or they become dependent and and powerless. See, the wider community can relate to that because being in bad relationships, a lot of people can relate to that or having those choices because it's a human issue. And it's about choice, and people assume that persons with disabilities have this choice to get in and out of relationships when they don't on provincial disability assistance in BC. So I was proud of that. I'm also was proud writing on issues like CPP. It stemmed from one person's story. The provincial government makes people who are on provincial disability take CPP early. Uh, meaning the Canada Pension Plan. And so they end up in, being in poverty for the rest of their retirement years. Then I collected more information on the CPP and other clawbacks, like for people who have a little job but become unemployed, and then they go on EI, their EI gets clawed back from the provincial disability assistance. So I get all this information, and I put it into stories. So I'm proud of articles like those, and also comparing the disability rates and the eligibility rates across Canada, because people want to know how it is to apply in another province, and I wrote that. So one thing that I've heard from some people is that as important as social media and other online tools are for lots of kinds of organizing these days, they're particularly important for disability organizing, given that disabled people face so many different kinds of barriers to various kinds of in-person and offline organizing. Is that an accurate assessment, do you think? I think social media is an important tool for mobilizing persons with disabilities because not everyone has the ability to participate in rallies. And rallies aren't the solution to disability issues. 
it can be used as a tool, but it's not a solution. What you have to do is keep the information out there, spread the information out there, get more people involved, more informed, so that our issues become at the forefront of politicians' concerns and influential stakeholders, relevant stakeholders' concerns. I see it as yeah, having a living information base where we tap into what's going on now, but where what we feel needs to be addressed, we write something up and put it out there and see what the response is. But we do know that politicians and influential stakeholders have come to our site for reference. And they say, well, the people are saying this and people are saying that. So that is a feather in the cap for the BC Disability Caucus. And the larger the base, the more people who are involved, the more influential it becomes. So granting what you just said, that rallies and protests aren't any kind of ultimate tool for challenging the barriers that disabled people face, Talk about some of the instances where your online work has led to rallies and protests and so on. Well, one of the things that was really key during the last year was the bus pass clawback and discussions around that. There was a lot of rage on the site about that. What the provincial government did, the former provincial government, is after 10 years, they gave a, what was it, a $77 raise to disability rates and they clawed back, what was it, 56 $52 Yes. So after 10 years, they give them a raise and then they took most of the raise away from them by charging them an increased cost for the bus passes they used. The thing that people found so frustrating is that given the level of poverty amongst the disabled, it was the choice between eating and staying at home or actually being able to go out to your medical appointments, etc., with the bus pass. So we organized a rally around it. We organized more than one, actually, the three rallies. And each time we did a little bit more, the final rally was actually videotaped and, and we had people talking about the social determinants of health and had support from labor leaders and community activists all coming out to speak and be recorded for future reference. It was a powerful message that the speakers gave, and I think it did drive some issues forward. It went on for months, and the official opposition got behind it and advocated for it with us. They were very happy to come and speak at rallies. And that helped a lot. And they promised during the election campaign to bring the bus pass back. I've never actually seen an election campaign that made more disability-related promises than this one. And then the bus pass is actually coming back officially in January, and they're raising the rates in September. So they made some movement forward to address people's needs. I believe that the fact that disability issues keep on getting raised over the last three years, according to the, one of the local labor leaders, he says that because they were being raised, everything was kept on the front of the agenda and people kept on thinking about them. And that's one of the positive things that has happened. But I also see it as a conduit too for other people who want to organize events. And they know that the page itself, the site itself, has a large audience. So we help facilitate them to get the message out and to talk about the issues because it's, you know, it's to share information, to be a conduit to organizing and to sharing information. We are committed to the grassroots approach and to being collaborative and interdependent with people and working together to actually make change. One of the things that distinguishes a disability rights movement is that we have to recognize that we're interdependent. Every man for himself doesn't work. It doesn't work in social policy and it doesn't work in real life, unless you're Donald Trump. I think also the caucus itself is saying things that other organizations wish that they could say, but they can't because of 
them being registered charities, and only 10% of their resources can be allocated to advocacy. So we can say things for them or or wish that they could say because they have to be very diplomatic. Yes, especially since they usually get a lot of program funding from governments who expect not to be embarrassed. And you mentioned supporting other people and groups who are organizing things is one important part of what you hope that the BC Disability Caucus can do. Talk about instances where you've been able to do that and support other kinds of grassroots work. I'll give one example. There was a rally up island in Nanaimo and further south. And one person was organizing it with a few people, and we allowed her to promote it on our site and shared her pictures and get the word out. And we've actively promoted rallies that happen in Vancouver because, um, well, we're insane enough to want to spend our food money on it. (laughs) We also have a larger audience, too. It's a lot of sweat and tears doing this, and the outcome is that we have a large audience. And we know how hard it is just to build up an audience or a following. And that, you know, for some grassroots have a really good rally going on. They might only have a few hundred followers on their page if they're lucky. But we have so many more. We want more people to attend their rallies or events. Also, there's been organizations like the Neil Squire Society or the Paraplegic Association that had events that, that were coming up or promotions for their services. And we were able to help them reach out to more people because they offer services that are important. I mean, the CP Association, they're providing social opportunities for people with CP, and those things are critical. Having a community is really important for people, for their health. So I know that it can be a real challenge to get non-disabled people to pay serious political attention to disability issues. But it does sound like it's something that you've had a reasonable amount of success in doing. What would you identify as some of the key ways to do that? Maybe this is a bad analogy, but repeatedly presenting various other groups, like with the organized labor communities, with the educational communities, we've been continually connecting with them when when there's a common issue. So they know that it's not just their union or their community group that's concerned about this. The disabled community itself and the Disability Caucus is concerned about that, so they identify us as somebody that they could collaborate and work with. They may not have a great awareness about disability issues, but they know that we're saying that this is something that affects all of us. And we've done a lot of work on intersectionality where we reach out to the Indigenous communities about issues that affect them because their circumstances are seriously compromised by the lack of support they get. And so we've reached out to them, and they're very receptive to connecting with us in return. When I do articles, you tap into what's going on right at that time and create a populist headline. So, like, minimum wage is a popular topic amongst many people, right? And so I created an article with a headline. This is with our former premier. And I said, Christy Clark, well, as Clark knows, minimum wage isn't enough to live on, while persons living on provincial disability benefits must live on half of that. Now, the wider public knows that minimum wage is not enough. But to them, to find out that persons with disabilities have to live on half of that, you put it in perspective. So I had to put it in perspective, compare it to the general populace or what people could relate to. Yeah, that's a good example, Marco, because most people without disabilities just assume that the disabled are actually looked after. 
they don't realize that the reason why there's so many people with disabilities that are homeless is because they don't have enough resources to stay in their homes. So half of the homeless people are disabled. Or why are there so many people in prison with psychiatric issues? Same sort of issue. People fall through the cracks and these are the catch basins that they land on, the, the street and the prison. Not good. So in all of your work of participating in and moderating and observing the many conversations on the BC Disability Caucus site, what would you say are the key issues for disabled people in British Columbia that they need to have addressed at the local, provincial, and national levels? The reaction we get from people at the local, provincial, and national level is the desperate grinding poverty that people with disabilities are in. That's something that desperately needs to be addressed with a decent level of income support for people with disabilities and their accommodations that they require. Adequate health care, adequate transportation, adequate housing. Those have been the top issues for persons with disabilities for years. I know when I used to do work with persons with disabilities, they used to be the top reasons why people came to see me, and I kept a log on it. It hasn't changed anything related to poverty reduction. But even for those who maybe not considered low enough income, it's health care, not having access to adequate health care, that you are basically guaranteed those will be half persons with disabilities who have the access to the health care and the have not persons with disabilities who don't have access to the proper health care. So they may have a shorter life or they might be more disabled sooner than the others. Because your social conditions do determine your health outcomes. But I think the one issue that's always present is the difference between the way the non-disabled view the disabled and the way the disabled view themselves. There's a cultural barrier going on where we're an outgroup, and there's no reason for it except the perceptions, the assumptions about the disabled. Not being able to feel like you have access to be the best that you can be. You might have been given all the tools to be the best that you can be, but once you get out into the real world, you find that there's pushback. There's pushback for everybody, but there's pushback more so if you're also a minority. If you have a person with a disability, and they're, like, they're one of the um, most marginalized groups. They're the largest minority and the more intersections you have where you're a part of the LGBT communities or you're a woman, an indigenous person, etc., These groups that are marginalized already, they're not present in disability advocacy because they're so occupied with their survival because they're already doubly marginalized. We made a commitment when we started doing this that we would support all human rights struggles. And that's what we keep doing, despite the fact that some people say every once in a while, why are you doing that? (laughs) This article or this topic is still important. You know, we still do the postings that we know may not have the same popular or populist interest, but it still needs to be said. You have been listening to my interview with Paul Gilbert and Margot Bach of the BC Disability Caucus. To learn more about their work and to join the conversation, search for BC Disability Caucus on Facebook. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.